Good morning, wonderful to see you all here. This is the beginning of our Lenten series uh, on prayer. Teach us how to pray, O Lord. That's the word that the disciples asked Jesus uh, as they were beginning to follow him. Let me begin with a prayer. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Blessed is your name, O Lord. You're exalted through all the earth. You've given us our lives here on this earth, and you've given us our life in you through your Son, Jesus our Lord, by the power of the Spirit. Lord, we offer this class to you. Increase in our hearts uh, faith, hope, and love. Give us greater understanding and greater practice of our deep relationship with you that we call prayer. Inspire us by your Holy Spirit to pray from the depths of our hearts, with our minds, with our lips, and our hands. Be with us now, O Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. Teach us how to pray. The disciples asked Jesus. This is the, the, the third part of our uh, long way of Christ uh, course that we're offering for all adults in the parish. Teach us how to pray. I'm going to uh, give an overview and introduction on prayer this morning uh, and then with a special focus toward the end of our time on contemplation. Uh, and our sister Betsy Fredericks is going to share with us uh, towards the end of her experience of contemplative prayer. Let me give you uh, the curriculum so you know what's coming up next week. We've got a five-week course. We won't meet on Palm Sunday so that we can do all that fun Palm stuff in the park across the street. Uh, next week, uh, we will focus on the Psalms in depth. A bit of a deep dive into the Psalter, different kinds of Psalms, how to pray them. Week three will be on praying the daily office and other prayers in the prayer book. So the focus of week three is on the uh, prayers of the prayer book besides the Psalter. Week four will be on intercessory and healing prayer. And then week five will be on penitential prayer appropriately enough as we begin to approach Holy Week. This week's class then is on, we've called it the shape of prayer. So I'm going to give several fundamentals uh, from the scripture and the tradition, and hopefully we'll be able to go a little deep here as well. Take a look at your handout then on the first, uh, the first passage that we give you there uh, from Luke chapter 11. When Jesus was praying, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John's, John taught his disciples, and then Jesus goes on to teach the Lord's Prayer. And in Luke, it's a shorter, slightly shorter version. We say the version uh, that comes from Matthew's gospel. What is prayer then? It's always worth reminding ourselves. This is going to be another one of those areas where it's, it's so basic and so profound at the same time. And we are all in this room, certainly yours truly, we are all still in the school of prayer. We're learning how to pray to pray more deeply and fully with all that we are. What is prayer then? Prayer is a lot more than just the words we might say or the text in the prayer book or what we might uh, ask for on our knees with a specific petition. Prayer, as we'll see in just a moment, is an entire way of life and indeed it's meant to become our whole life. And as I've already noted from Luke chapter 11, not only did the saints throughout the scriptures pray many prayers that we have recorded in the Old Testament, but our Lord himself took time to go away and pray again and again and again. That is 
utterly remarkable, if you think about it. That the Lord of the universe, the co-creator of the worlds, the only begotten Son of the Father, took time to pray during his human life. In the second passage there, I've given you, again, this is uh, some lines that I've spoken before. One of the great teachers on prayer was Evagrius of Pontus uh, in the fourth century, one of the great monastic teachers. He studied and learned uh, from other uh, male and female monastics, and he wrote this in his chapters on prayer. Prayer is a continual intercourse of the Spirit with God. Just as bread is nourishment for the body and virtue for the soul, so is spiritual prayer nourishment for the higher mind. Prayer is the fruit of joy and thanksgiving. Prayer is an ascent of the Spirit to God. Let us cast all our concerns on God, and it will be well with us. If you are a theologian, you truly pray, and if you pray, you are a theologian, Evagrius says. So God is not like us. Scriptures tell, that, tell us that again and again. God is the greatest of all things we could possibly imagine. God created us, redeemed us, and is bringing us to perfection. And God also transcends our that we are in time and space and bodies and speech and feelings and thoughts and so on. So the way that we relate to God most normally is through prayer. It is, a, as Evagrius says, it's a, an actual communion of our spirits with God, nothing less. God has given us the gift of prayer with which to commune with him and to relate to him. A couple more scriptures then about the promise of prayer and the nature of prayer. This could be a very long list, of course, but I'm just going to refer you to uh, Matthew 7. Uh, also from the Sermon on the Mount where we get the Lord's Prayer in chapter 6. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, all who seek find, and the one who knocks it will be opened. Which one of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So prayer is not only this radical opportunity to commune with God directly through our spirits, but prayer comes with this incredible promise. It's, it's so incredible, it's outlandish. And I think Jesus' teaching here in Matthew 7 was meant to be heard just that way. Why? Because we need that reminder and that invitation and that spur, not just to be more regular and faithful in prayer, but to be more bold in our prayers. What are we truly asking for? Now, Jesus says in other places, and the prophets and apostles echo the same idea, well, there are different kinds of prayers, and there are some prayers that accord with God's will, and there are other prayers that might not accord with God's will. We wouldn't want or expect God to answer a prayer that's not in accord with God's will. But even though God has an inscrutable will and decree, God has decreed and given us grace to approach him in prayer with the presumption that our prayers will have an effect. 
God is the sovereign Lord of all things, and there are some things that we can't expect to change through prayer. Okay, just, I just invite, can you think of some things that you can't change through prayer? We can't change the past. We can change our experience of the past. We can change some of the effects of it, but we can't change the past. Right? We can't expect, as I just said, to achieve through prayer things that God does not will. But God has given us in, on this earth in, in his divine economy, God has, let me put it this way, created space within our lives. And by his grace, he has given us not just the opportunity, but even the command to be in communion with him in prayer and in so doing to affect the very course of our lives and the lives of other people. It's that radical. And that's how Jesus meant us to hear it. One further New Testament passage from Romans 8. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do, not, we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with groanings too deep for words, and God who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So the final radical thing about prayer and the great promise is that not only has God created this space and given us the instructions and the opportunity to be in communion with him, but God's given us his very self. When we pray, the Holy Spirit is the one doing the praying in us and through us, even as we are praying as well. Why? Because, as Paul says, we do not know how to pray as we ought. Hear the compassion and the long-suffering and the faithfulness of God through the gift of prayer. We pray by the inspiration and indwelling of the Holy Spirit through the Son to God the Father. We share in the very life of the Trinity itself through our prayers. Well, when the disciples asked Jesus how to pray... He answered them. So I want to look again at the Lord's Prayer, another basic that can never be exhausted. If you look over, flip over on the handout, uh, we gave you a little quote from one of St. Augustine's letters about prayer. If we pray rightly, and as becomes our wants, we say nothing but what is already contained in the Lord's Prayer. It's all there. So we're going to look uh, again, I say again, if some of you uh, heard a bit of this in the fall, we're going to look again at the Lord's Prayer, but with a slightly different direction today. The direction of our thoughts and reflections today is how do we go to the very depth of prayer? How do we go closest to the heart of God? The kind of prayer that finds us close to the heart of God deep in the mystery of God's own being, we call contemplation. Contemplative prayer is a deep, powerful experience of God's very self through prayer, and it's also the most efficacious form of prayer. The question then is, how do we do that? How do we pray in this deep and profound, interconnected way, close to the heart? of God himself. The answer 
is that we have to learn, we have to grow, and our hearts and our minds have to be shaped and reformed and refashioned according to God's Spirit. That shaping and refashioning we find in the Lord's Prayer. Contemplation, in other words, is not something that you just start off with and boom, it happens. I mean, God can do anything and sometimes things just happen. But normally, we have to learn and grow. Contemplation is the result, in a sense, the end, an end that keeps coming and comes even now, of the formation of our heart and our soul. So let's look now more closely at the Lord's Prayer on the bottom of the first page. Here's a slightly different translation just to give us uh, a little more imagination today. We all know by heart uh, the version that's in the liturgy, of course. So Jesus says, when you're praying, don't heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles, for they think that they'll be heard because of their many words. And he's already said, remember, you know, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't try to impress other people with your prayers. But when you pray, go into your room, etc. Pray to your Father who is in secret and pray the Lord's Prayer. Our prayer then begins, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Or, Father in heaven, may your name be revered as holy. Our prayer begins in praise. Our prayer begins not by focusing on ourselves, but by drawing our focus away from ourselves and on to God. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your name be revered as holy. We call on God, Jesus has taught us to call on the transcendent, all-powerful God of the universe to call on him as Father. Scripture is the image of a father is someone who cares deeply and sacrificially and intimately for their children. So we call on God as one who scandalously comes among us through his grace and his compassion, his faithfulness, and in the person of his son, ultimately, in his spirit. God, our Father, is in heaven, not on earth. Now, God is everywhere. God's not limited, but we're taught to elevate our thoughts to the heavenly realms when we address God and praise his name. May your name be revered as holy. Second, may your kingdom come. This is not a divine platitude. It's not just a theological truth. This is a word that we need to reshape our minds and our hearts. So here the prayer is working on us. May your kingdom come, O Lord, on earth as it is in heaven. What does it mean for us to have a king whose reign we welcome and even plea for? We're to reorient our days, our to-do lists, our minds, our thoughts, our feelings toward this invitation. Oh God, please reign in my life. Please reign in the world. Please reign in my family. We're asking for God's power to become real and manifest and for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Think to yourself, what is in, in the, the posture of your heart and your mind, what does it feel like and look like to say this prayer? Sincerely, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It requires a number of things. It requires first humility. It requires us admitting to ourselves that we don't have all the answers and we don't have all the power even to do the things that have been set right in front of us when we're honest with ourselves. It requires humility, but it also requires reverence. God's name is holy. We exalt God's name. And because of that, we ask for his power and will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a great prayer of faith right there, just in two lines. So this is how our prayer is to begin. Now, before I go on to the petitions that come next, many commentators and saints have noted that the Lord's Prayer, this is the shape of all of our prayer. It's not only a set of words that you can say, as we do every Sunday together, and I hope you do every day, but this is the shape of all of our prayer. It contains, as St. Augustine says, all of the things that we could possibly want to pray about. So after we have focused ourselves on God, invited his power and will and role in our lives and in the world around us, then we go on to ask for some specific things that we were probably thinking about before we started to pray. Give us today our daily bread. Nothing could be more basic for life in the scriptures than bread. Bread is the basic foodstuff of Israel and all societies during that historical era. Bread is a symbol of God's provision for us, like the manna that was given in the wilderness. And bread is also ultimately, of course, our Lord himself. Jesus is our bread. And we should remember in his teaching in John's gospel, he's, he's very clear about this difference. You know, yes, we pray for our daily sustenance of our bodies. God cares about all that and God cares about a lot more too. We cannot live only on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And Jesus is that bread. Let's focus on this word daily. Give us our daily bread, our bread for the morrow, or our bread for today. We could translate it. Not our bread for the whole week. It's okay if you fix your lunch for the whole week and pack it in the fridge, that's fine. But in our hearts, in our prayers, this is a radical dependence. And here again, we need to be changed and shaped and grow. At the same time, it's a two-way street. We're communing with God in our spirit. We're praising him, asking for certain things. And as we do all of that, we are renewed. How then are we renewed in this petition? Give us our bread for today. That's a radical sort of dependence. No matter what our responsibilities are, no matter how much planning ahead you have to do in your work or your family life, and that's all important. But in the most basic place of our hearts in prayer to the Lord, give us our bread for today. We're meant to be praying that, in other words, every day. We're not, it's, you don't store up spiritual resources. I don't need you, God, tomorrow. I'm not going to need you. We're to be praying for our bread, everything that we need, everything 
that God provides. And for some of us, the teaching and the renewal that happens through this prayer is that trust that God does provide. And some of us need to hear that over and over again. God cares about us. God wants to feed us every day. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors comes next. That's the most direct literal translation. It's our debts, what we owe, but we can't repay. We owe so much more than we can ever repay. So here comes a prayer for forgiveness. You knew it would be there. (laughs) If we know ourselves, we know that one needs to be there. This is the only line in the Lord's Prayer that Jesus goes on to comment on at the end of the prayer. It's that important. So again, each day, maybe three times a day, we pray for forgiveness. We cannot draw near to God without reckoning with our sin. And whatever in our life is keeping us from God, drawing us away from the love of God, and so on. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And that's the line that gets Jesus' commentary later. This reciprocal relationship between the forgiveness that we receive and the forgiveness that we need is very tight in the scriptures and above all in the teaching of Jesus. So we pray for forgiveness. The more that we pray the Psalms, the more we are instructed for places to look for where we need forgiveness. And the reason we need to look and be taught where to look is because we don't see ourselves very well. St. Augustine, again, is one of the great teachers on this in his confessions, he talks about how opaque we are to ourselves. We are strangers to ourselves. So there again, God is forming and shaping us. When we ask for forgiveness, it's not like we're all in control all of a sudden. Oh, I realized I did that. All right, I got it together. No. We are a mystery to our own selves. So we come before God for illumination, for God to show me my secret faults, as the psalmist says to show us where we need to ask for forgiveness, and then we pray and trust that God will and wants to forgive us. But what about those other debtors? So what the saints teach us over and over again is not only how hard it is to see our own hearts, but how hard it is to see how we have affected others and those who need our forgiveness, how they've affected us. St. John Cassian said famously that we, it's amazing how angry and furious and upset we can get when someone does the slightest bit of wrong to us. But if we see someone sinning against God or doing something worse, well, we can pass it off as insignificant. We can be pretty touchy about what people are doing to us. But what about our forgiveness of them? So the work of forgiveness between us and God has to involve our neighbors. So we become more forgiving, and in doing so, we become more forgiven. All that we need to be forgiven for. That prayer never gets old, does it? We always need it. 
Finally, do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. The time of trial. Do not let us be submerged by the time of trial. Do not let us be defeated by the time of trial. The scriptures tell us over and over again that we will be tried, we will be tempted, and we will be tested, often by God himself. But we pray for God's strength never to be overcome by our trials, and secondly, to be delivered from the evil one. So the Lord's Prayer ends on a pretty sober note, doesn't it? We've been thinking about what we need to receive from God's provision, about our relationship being righted with God through forgiveness. But now there's this this very hard realism that we face real enemies. We will face the enemy of evil that comes to us in all sorts of forms and ways. And we will also be tried, whether from the Lord or from an evil circumstance or something like that. This, in other words, teaches us helps us to grow into, let's call it a kind of adult spirituality. And I say that not in the simple sense that I think we're all adults in the room. That's not what I mean. We're all adults in the room, but we're also children sometimes, if we're honest with ourselves. We all have that impulse to want to go back, To think of a golden age, we even do that sometimes as a culture, the golden age of our country or whatever it was, or the golden age of my life, or just some time that even maybe I can't think about, we want to go back where everything is safe and secure and okay, and there won't be any challenges or troubles. That is not our life. It's not only not our life in the world, it's not our life with God that the scriptures witness and give us. To grow, we must face challenges and enmity. We might be on that mountaintop for a while by God's will and grace, and that's a a special, nourishing, strengthening experience, but then we go back into the valley by God's will. And this is right on our gospel reading for today. Here's a hint, if you haven't been to service yet, but those of you who have will remember, today we're hearing about Jesus' temptations in the wilderness. The Holy Spirit drove the Lord into the wilderness to be tempted. And if we're to take up our cross and follow him, we have to expect the same sort of trials and tribulations. And in fact, we believe that he was tempted in every way as we are. So that's what I mean by an adult spirituality. The Lord's Prayer Of course, we're asking for God's help in trials and protection against evil. But we're also learning, especially to say it over and over again. Oh, okay. This is supposed to be happening. And this can help me grow. And by God's grace, uh, he will shape me more and more into the image of his son. So turn over the, the handout. And I want to pull all this together. And then we're going to hear a word about the experience of contemplation. I've given you again what I gave you last fall. So you have it in two places now, the basic shape of our prayers, the shape of Christian prayer. Praise to God through Christ by the Spirit, thanksgiving for God's benefits, and then there's that confession, recollection of sin. Prayer for great and heavenly things, 
and then also for our own interests and specific needs, and ending with doxology as we end the Lord's Prayer as well. Look then to the right. Here's the simple scheme of Lectio Divina, which I know a lot of you have have studied and practiced, and we, we talk about and do a lot here, thanks be to God. At its heart, Lectio Divina is very simple. It's praying in response to God's word by the power of the Holy Spirit. It begins by reading and then responding, thinking, however God engages our minds and our hearts on the scripture that we've read. Praying in response, oratio. And then comes the fourth stage, contemplation, contemplatio. Again, notice that it's fourth. Now, all of this you can do in a very simple prayer time in five minutes. If you only have five minutes, grab a Bible or a prayer book, read a psalm, let it work on your heart, respond in prayer, and then just sit with the Lord for a moment. That's a wonderful time of prayer. Contemplation, then, is the end. Look right above there, 1 Thessalonians 5. Paul writes, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ for you. This is God's goal for us, to be people who are always praying. And we do that by this habit, this practice of especially saying the Lord's Prayer and other prayers from the tradition over and over, day after day, as we experience and live and hope and suffer and learn, and then we pray. And over and over again, God shapes our hearts and gives us hearts of prayer. I'm going to end here uh, just below then with this quote from Maximus the Confessor. Prayer is continuous when the spirit clings to God with deep emotion and great longing and remains forever attached to him by faith and hope in all of the actions and events of its destiny. It's God's intention for us in this life, while we live in this veil of tears, until the Lord returns, we have the gift of prayer. And it's meant to go deep and wide and broad and far. And its effects will be literally immeasurable because we just can't measure. We're not even in a position to see all of the fruit and the effects of our prayers. So with that in mind, on that note of contemplation, let me invite Betsy to come up and share with us uh, a few words from her experience of contemplative prayer. Each week, a, a different parishioner is going to give us a witness and a bit of a testimony about prayer. Thanks, Betsy. Thank you. Um, you know, as, as I think about my spiritual journey and I review where I have grown and how I have grown in my relationship with God, as I think back to when I started adding contemplative prayer or centering prayer to my life, I, I have seen the greatest growth, I think, in my spirituality through that. Um, Dr. Bealey mentioned how we don't know ourselves. And I think when we can go into the quiet of contemplation, and we come before God and see him for who he is, we also begin to see ourselves for who, as who we are. Um, 
it's so hard to get out of, um, I'll speak for myself, out of my head with my thoughts and with my worries about the world and all that. And as I think about being able to be in the present, in the present where God is, we have the grace of having his presence within us. And so he's always there, but it's us who aren't there. And so when I can come into that presence with him and sit in his presence and with that consent of being with him and allowing him to speak in me and through me, um, it begins to bear fruit in learning who I am and who God is. So um, I started about eight years ago in the Centering Prayer Group, and um, it was really difficult for me to quiet my mind and to stop those constant tapes that play in your head. And when I learned to practice going into the quiet, I didn't get better at it. It's still really difficult. I don't think it's anything we get that becomes easy. I'm always a beginner, I think. But in that discipline of just saying, yes, God, I want to be with you in this, that fruit comes from that. And so when I look at myself now and I compare myself to how I was, say, five years ago, eight years ago, I'm such a different person, that anger's gone, that uh, judgment is gone, that um, criticism of myself and others has slowly gotten better. It, it's always continued work. But I think that's the fruit that God does, bears in us as we give that time to him. So um, contemplation, is I think the part that we skip more often than anything in our prayers. We're really quick to praise God, ask God for what we want, and then move on our way. So to be able to go into the quiet after we have acknowledged who he is, praised him, thanked him, and to just sit in his presence trying to get rid of all of the worldly thoughts and where my brain wants to go, I can just sit with him and he slowly starts to bring change within me. Um, so it's a practice. You know, I don't even like to use the word practice because practice makes it seem like it'll get easier the more we do it. And it doesn't. I think it's a discipline of saying, God, I want to be with you. God, I want to hear from you. And as I sit in that place with him, the spirit does begin to speak through me. The spirit does begin to pray through me. And I feel like it brings my heart more in alignment with him. Um, so it's, it's hard in our world to do that, to go into the quiet, because there's so much noise and so much busyness um, that if you can find even five minutes after you pray, to sit in his presence, you will begin to see the fruit that comes from that. Thank you.
Thank you so much, Betsy. Well, I want to end uh, with an invitation and an exhortation. Uh, this isn't uh, just a head exercise. This is something we all want to be doing. So I hope uh, it's encouraging to you to be with your brothers and sisters as we're learning and thinking about prayer today. Uh, but I also want to ask you all uh, and exhort you to be in prayer. If you don't have a regular habit of prayer, find Ideally, it's a time of the day when you can pray each day. It might be in the morning, it might be at night, it might be in the middle of the day when you have a break of 20 minutes or whatever it is. Let the Lord's Prayer shape your prayers. Pray with the Psalms. We'll look at the Psalms here next week. And take that time at the end to sit in the Lord's presence, as Betsy was saying. Uh, and I'll echo what she said from my own experience too. It doesn't get easier and better and better and better, but we become new people. And the world around us, those that we touch, the Lord tells us to ask, seek, and knock. So that is our focus this Lent together. Let, let me invite you uh, and encourage and urge you uh, to find a new discipline of prayer uh, during Lent this week. And I wanna ask you one final thing. Please pray for the church, among all things. Many of the Psalms are prayers for God's holy people, for God's Zion, for God's temple. So I hope that you'll join me in praying for this, our church, and the church around the world. We know that God wants to answer our prayers, and he's given us the grace to enter into his presence in this way. Thanks be to God. May I end us with a prayer then? Why don't we stand? The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for all of your mercies, and we're humbled and in awe uh, at your goodness, your grandeur, and your grandeur and your compassion for us. And today, especially, we're grateful for the gift of prayer. We pray uh, that through your grace, you would increase in us uh, the habit, uh, the practice, and the discipline of prayer. Thank you for giving of yourself to us, and thank you, O oh Lord that when your disciples asked you how to pray, you taught us. And so we pray in those words now. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.